Hey, how you doing, folks? This is the Gospel of Kennison, episode 116, brought to you the week of February 6, 2020. I'm your host. My name is James Kennison. Welcome to my personal audio journal. <sighs> okay, I'm all stressed out. I'm stressed out because of this book thing. All right. Um, I talked about it last week, I think, or last time, last episode. And um, it's becoming a thing uh, that I'm doing. I, I wrote a book in 2014. It's a middle reader. It's for kids between the ages of eight and 15. And I wrote it and I didn't ever do anything with it. And now I'm releasing it in audio format uh, as a podcast. It will be a series of 11 episodes plus an intro episode that I recorded today. And um, I'm questioning myself the entire way and wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Um, I feel so much like uh, Marty McFly and his dad in Back to the Future where they're like, I can't let anybody see my stuff because what if they think I'm no good? I can't face that kind of rejection. Uh, or I couldn't face that kind of rejection, I think is the line. Um, and here's the thing is I know the book is not the, the best. And it's, um, it's the best I could do at the time. I think if I were to do it again, I would do better. Um, I, I, I read a lot, so I know what good books read like. This one doesn't read like that. It doesn't have all of the detail and the stuff in it, but I still think it has a decent story and I still want to get it out there and I still want it to have meant something that I spent all this time on it, but I'm nervous that it's just bad. And, um, I don't know. It's like if I was drawing a picture doing some artwork, I would hate to release it and put it on Facebook if I didn't feel like it was the best representative of, of what I could do. Um, and there is lots of artwork that I've done, especially for clients that I'm not particularly proud of because even though I did my best, maybe the client wanted something that I thought was dumb or didn't look very good, or I had a better idea and they liked another idea, you know? And so I do the work and I'm, but I'm not as proud of it. And it's not the stuff that I'm going to put in my portfolio, you know, because it was special to them and it was exactly what they wanted, but it wasn't something that I thought represented my best work. <sighs> but the book is kind of like that, but it's not like that because I think it is an example of my best work. Uh, but I don't know that I'm a very good writer. I feel like I'm a decent artist. And so what I put out there, I don't worry about. I feel like I'm a halfway decent podcaster. And so I don't worry so much about that. I used to, I used to, when I first started before I knew if it was going to be anything before we were halfway successful. And I feel like we're at, successful, we're at a successful place right now as a podcast with that story show. Um, you know, we're, we're just under 10,000 listeners. I I'm very proud of that. I think that, you know, in, in YouTube numbers, it's nothing, you know, you got to have 10 million before you're something there, but in podcast numbers, I think that's all right. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable about putting out podcasts, but I, I don't feel comfortable about the book. 
So here's what I want to do. I want you to help me. Today, you can help me. I'm going to read part of it because I'm going to be releasing it, like I said, as an audio book um, where I read each chapter. Each chapter will be an episode. There's 11 chapters, 11 episodes, plus an intro episode that I just recorded today. But I think it would be so helpful if you would listen to it and um, and then give me some feedback and help me out. Uh, and here's, here's the thing I don't want you to do though. I don't want you to give me good feedback, uh, just because you want to pump me up. I would, I would really, really appreciate it if I got honest feedback. Uh, I'm not going to rewrite the whole book. So if, if it needs to be rewritten, um, please keep that to yourself kind of thing. But I, I just want to take some of the pressure off and I'm going to read it the first chapter to you and um, and I'm not going to edit it. So if I mess up, I'll just, I'll just read as if you, I was reading to you in your, in your bed as you were tucked in going to sleep. And I was your father reading a story to you. Uh, so you'll, you'll forgive me if, if I mess up once in a while, but uh, I think this will go a long way with getting some of the anxiety off my chest and you can be a part of that all right because you're special you listen to gok i mean dang how much how much more in my life can you get other than being a part of my family and listen to this show so you guys care the most so you get to you're the ones i care about the most as far as your opinion goes so here we go uh sort of kind of superpowered uh chapter one Joseph loved any kind of field trip, but today was extra awesome because his class was visiting the Enhanced Heroes Memorial Museum, and he had never been before. It was an entire building dedicated to a mysterious set of heroes known as the Enhanced, who had been serving and saving people for well over 100 years. Joseph was a huge fan of the Enhanced, the ones he knew of anyway, and he couldn't wait for the bus ride to end and the tour to begin. Joseph was 12 years old, had short brown hair and a pale complexion, and deep brown eyes. He'd had a few girls refer to him as cute, but it was likely due to the fact that he was the second shortest kid in his school. The only kid shorter was Clovis Cook. He and Joseph were best friends. Clovis had puffy black, black hair, light brown skin, and dark brown eyes. They had been talking the whole trip about what they hoped to see when they arrived at the museum. Clovis had been before. Mom got me a pass that lets us go back all year, Clovis exclaimed. It was for my birthday. Then you can be my official tour guide. Just don't go spoiling anything for me, Joseph said. I only need to know two things right now. One, is it awesome? And two, how much am I going to love it? Well, Clovis's eyes rolled around as he thought, it is very, very super awesome. And you're going to love it more than you love Star Wars. Nothing is better than Star Wars, man, Joseph said. But the museum must be pretty good if you think I'd be putting it above my favorite movies. Joseph looked around. Joseph looked out his window and watched the city move by. People of every kind and buildings of every size scrolled past. He had never seen so many people just walking. People only walked for exercise where he lived in Noonan, Georgia. He wondered where they were all going and was overwhelmed by the idea that each of them had a different place to go. 
Though he found the city exciting and remarkable, he was very glad he didn't live in it. There were too many places and too many people he didn't know. Joseph really didn't trust people he didn't know. Finally, they pulled in behind a line of buses filled with more sixth grade classes. A woman with poofy red hair climbed the front steps and barked out some distorted instructions through a microphone. Joseph didn't understand anything she said except off the bus and await further instructions. Everyone filed out of the bus and waited in a line against a building while the teachers and aides counted everyone. Joseph's heart was thumping in his chest. The museum was just around the corner. He, was, he very much wanted to step forward out of line to catch a glimpse of the building, but he stayed where he was. Joseph always obeyed the rules, mostly because he was well-behaved, but also because whenever he did slip up, he always got caught. I hate this part, Joseph said. We get here, and we're still not here. He leaned his forehead against the wall, looking down at the tiny bits of trash smashed into the crevice between the wall and the sidewalk. If everybody would hold still, it wouldn't take so ever to count. If everybody would hold still, it wouldn't take forever to count us all, Clovis observed. Just make sure you're standing up straight. They always miscount when I'm in a group because they pass right over me. Joseph turned and stepped up to see who was counting his class. The poofy-haired woman with the microphone was counting his group and making things and marking things on a clipboard. Joseph looked up and down the line, absentmindedly counting heads himself. He counted again. There were only 32 students in his class. Or there were 32. Yeah. <laughs> there were 32 students in his class, but only 31 in line. Someone's missing, he told Clovis. And he scanned the line again to figure out who it was. It was Johnny Stein. Joseph saw him asleep against the window. Uh, way off. Uh, Joseph saw him asleep against a window on the way off the bus, but hadn't thought to wake him. He wished he had. When Joseph was in third grade, someone had written on his face after he fell asleep in a field trip. And when he woke up, everyone was laughing and no one would tell him why. Joseph left the line and walked up to the woman at the microphone. She didn't look up as he approached. She seemed completely focused on whatever she was writing on her clipboard. Ma'am, he started. She, she lifted the microphone without looking up. We're almost done here. Please remain in the line against the wall. The volume of her voice knocked Joseph back a step. She lowered the microphone and continued marking on her clipboard. Uh, there's a kid, Johnny Stein. I think he's asleep on the bus, Joseph said quietly. She looked up at Joseph, her, her cheeks turning bright pink. Wait right here, she said. She stepped quickly toward the bus, entered and searched the seats, looking back and forth down the aisle. She stopped halfway and motioned for Joseph to join her, which he did. There was Johnny, mouth open, curled up in the seat, a bit of drool creeping down his cheek. I'll step off, she whispered. I'll let you wake him up. She, she exited the bus. It says the exited the bus. <laughs> this thing was so not ready for final publication. She exited the bus. Joseph reached out a hand, gently shaking Johnny's shoulder. Johnny's eyes popped open. He sat up suddenly, dazed at the sight of an empty bus, trying to figure out where he was. We're at the museum, Joseph said. You fell asleep but there's still time to step in line without anybody noticing, and I won't tell anybody. Thanks, Johnny said, wiping drool from his face with his sleeve. He looked embarrassed, but his eyes were grateful. Joseph followed him off the bus, wondering if Johnny remembered marking on his face that day back in third grade. On their way back to the line, the microphone woman grabbed Joseph's arm. Thank you, Joseph, she said, scanning the list for his name. No problem, he said with a slight smile. She leaned in close. They didn't, they didn't have him on the list, 
so I'm glad you noticed, she whispered. Joseph turned, uh, Joseph returned to his place next to Clovis. What was that? Clovis asked. Nothing, he said. The microphone lady, apparently satisfied that her clipboard was sufficiently scratched on, lifted her microphone and filled the air with her greatly amplified voice. Students, we are now ready to leap. A loud electric squeal tore through the area, startling everyone. The girls screamed, the boys moaned, and everyone covered their ears. She fiddled with the box slung low on her waist and started again. Okay, students. She was still loud and distorted, but discernible. It is now time to make our way inside the building. Please stay together in a single file line. We will be crossing a major street, so please pay attention and stay alert. Once inside, you will need to wait quietly for further instructions. Please follow me. From the first step, the line disintegrated into a jumbled blob of kids walking however they wanted. Single file, people, single file, microphone lady called out, but it was no use. The students were too excited to listen. Okay, okay, at least stay together then. She lowered the microphone and resigned herself to leading the disorganized group as if it were what she wanted to do in the first place. At the corner, they waited at the crosswalk for the signal to change. Suddenly, sirens pierced through the traffic noise. Two fire trucks and an ambulance, lights blinking and blazing, turned right past them on screeching wheels. I wonder if there's a fire, a black-haired boy shouted. Of course there's a fire, dummy, a a red-haired kid said. Why do you think someone called the fire department? Whenever I've ever seen a fire truck stopped, it's always been a car accident, Joseph interjected. Well, maybe it's a car that's on fire, a blonde girl said. Why did kids always want things to be on fire? Once the sirens had stopped and the signal flashed walk, the group continued across the street, up a huge white marble staircase, through the massive oak doors, and into a large waiting area. They waited in front of a long, thin reception desk. Behind it, space opened into a large circular hall with two archways leading away. A grand staircase uh, started in the center of the space and led up to the second floor with three archways of its own. Each archway was admitted ran, emitting random lights and sounds, promising an exciting multimedia experience. Joseph took it all in. There appeared to be tons of things to see. He was sure this was going to be a fantastic day. High five, Joseph shouted to Clovis, and Clovis slapped a little too hard, and both boys winced from the sting. Sorry, Clovis said, rubbing his palms together. I'm too excited. I get a little crazy when I'm overstimulated. The microphone woman was working her way through the group and handing out fluorescent wrist, fluorescent green wristbands. Then each class was grouped. Then each class was grouped and let past the desk. Joseph watched as a very tall man in a sharp purple suit, coat, and hat approached his class. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim, he said. I'll be leading your tour today. Some of you may have noticed that I am quite tall. Several kids snickered in agreement. This is actually very nice to be a tall tour guide. It means I can see everyone in the tour. He paused for effect. And everyone can see my bald head. He lifted his cap, showing his shiny hairless dome. The group burst into laughter. Jim seemed pleased. Please follow me, he said. Jim led them up the central staircase. On the way up, Joseph had a great view into the lower rooms. He didn't know all of the enhanced by name like Clovis did but it was easy enough to read the lights over each entryway. Daring Dan and Sergeant Silent were the heroes listed below them, and at the top of the stairs, Jim had turned Jim, at the top of the stairs, Jim had them turn right. Joseph read the three signs on the upper level. Sergeant Sudden, Miss Model Citizen, 
And over the third room, the one Jim was leading them to, the sign read, Captain Mighty. They were starting their tour in Captain Mighty's room. This made Joseph very happy. He grabbed, Clo- he, he grabbed Clovis by the shoulders and shook him in excitement. Captain Mighty's my second favorite enhanced hero ever, Joseph said, still shaking Clovis. I assume Dr. Superior is your favorite, Clovis said, his voice shaking along with his shoulders. Of course, but Captain Mighty is pretty amazing, Joseph asserted. He and Clovis saw the Captain Mighty movie over the summer and instantly added him as a close second behind the current enhanced hero, Dr. Superior. Just before they entered the exhibit, Jim stopped and addressed the group. Welcome to the room that we have reserved for one of the most beloved enhanced of all time, Captain Mighty, he said. Joseph stood on tiptoe trying to see over into the room. He saw old news clips from the 80s projected on the walls, glass top cases full of artifacts everywhere, and Captain Mighty's logo was being drawn with lasers on the far wall. Jim continued, For the last 150 years, we have been a society blessed with a series of heroes known as the Enhanced, a title we use to distinguish them from other heroes, such as our military, who serve society without enhanced abilities. There has never been more than one enhanced hero at a time, and each of them serve with their own unique enhanced abilities. Jim produced a thin black device from his jacket. He slid a small latch on one side and a large screen unfolded in his hands. The students gasped in amazement. That's a folding computer. It's not even released yet, Clovis said. They were just invented at Superior Industries. So cool. Jim held the screen and continued as images faded in and out in sequence with his speech. It started in 1864 when a man with a black uniform and a mask, a black fireman's helmet, and a cape stopped a, uh, stopped a burning building from crumbling by freezing the outer walls using only his breath, he said. The newspapers dubbed him Daring Dan and raved over his enhanced breath powers. He retired in 1882 and introduced Sergeant Silent as his replacement. Jim reached behind the tablet and unfolded yet another panel making the screen double-sized. Joseph thought Clovis was going to have a heart attack. A rough-looking man with a large mustache and fancy blue coat with a golden S on the front appeared on the screen. Joseph thought he looked like the enhanced version of a Civil War soldier. Sergeant Silent, true to his name, never spoke a word. His enhanced abilities allowed him to move objects using only hand gestures. Jim flipped the screen vertically. The side of a building appeared and a cutout image of a baby was dancing on the top floor window. Sergeant Silent's first recorded deed was catching a baby falling from an apartment window with a laundry basket lifted into the air. The animated baby tumbled down into a floating basket of clothes as he spoke. The tour guide rotated the screen horizontally again. A jittery old-timey movie clip showed another man in an army helmet saluting the camera. Sergeant Sudden came to us in 1912 and served for 41 years. His uniform and powers were very different from Sergeant Silence. He earned, he earned his similar-sounding name by continuing the good work of his predecessor, even taking things to the next level with an uncanny ability to anticipate disasters. Sergeant Sudden's crisis anticipation was so impressive that many in his day believed that he had the ability to travel back in time. Jim turned, to the, screen. Jim turned the screen vertically again, This time, a brightly colored video played of a beautiful black-haired woman in a bright red leather jacket, blue pants, and golden knee-high boots. She had a shining gold mask over her eyes and forehead. Miss Model Citizen, the first female enhanced, was introduced by Sergeant Sutton in 1953 
Most of her work was done overseas, helping people in very poor parts of the world. But Miss Model, as she was called in the 70s, will always be most remembered for literally picking up the corner of an elementary school in Florida and dragging the entire campus across a city street. Moments later, a massive sinkhole appeared in its place that would have devoured the school and cost hundreds of students their lives. The same woman, this time in a black jacket, skirt, and leggings and boots, looked toward the camera and flew up into the air and out of sight. Jim reached behind the screen, unfolding yet another panel, making the screen even larger and square-shaped. The screen went black. Then, Jim called out with a sudden shout, startling several closer students. Then, the enhanced hero of my childhood appeared. The hero generally, generally considered to be the greatest hero of all time. He was passed the torch by Miss Model in 1978 and has become known as the amazing Captain Mighty. The screen was ablaze with flashing images of a man with a dark red shirt with a large silver plate marking an M across his chest. Within three slides, he had seen Captain Mighty's large brown boots, black gloves strapped tight at the wrist, gray knee pads, and a brown leather belt covered in pouches and compartments. Captain Mighty served as one of the most beloved and most active heroes to date. He faithfully served for 25 years before his disappearance in 2003. He was known for his kindness and many amazing feats, feats that you will discover as you tour this, his memorial hall. The students clapped. Jim quickly folded the computer screen, tucked it into his jacket, and bowed with a smile. This is a self-guided tour, he continued. That means you will be allowed to experience the exhibits in the hall in whatever order you want. Please find a friend or two and stay together. He began leading them toward the entryway. Take your time, read as much as you can, and meet right here in 35 minutes so we can rotate to the next hall. Jim stepped to the side and ushered the students into the room. Finally, the students flooded into the room. Joseph grabbed Clovis by the sleeve, holding him back until all the students had squeezed through, and then they walked under the archway, taking everything in. Stop, Clovis says. Close your eyes. What for? What for? Joseph replied. Everyone is going to start at the beginning here and work their way around, Clovis said. We're going to start at the end and work backwards, and we won't have to wait to see everything. I do this every time. So close, Joseph closed his eyes and allowed Clovis to move him through the maze of exhibits, only peeking when he was sure he felt something near his face. They were going past large win They were going past a large window when Joseph stole a look, and he saw something dark gray wafting up outside a large window. The Let's say the large window. <laughs> Wait, Joseph cried out, and he stopped short and ran to the window. There are, there are the fire trucks. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he ran over to the window. There are the fire trucks from, from before. And look, there's smoke. There was a thick clog of dark gray smoke lifting from a door on a rooftop of the building below. Look, there's people. Joseph saw two men and a woman emerge from the rooftop door, coughing. One man had his jacket over his face. I think they're stuck, Clovis said. Just then, a muscular, blonde-haired man wearing a solid purple uniform, a pair of metallic gold boots, a golden belt, and a matching gold cape trimmed in purple dropped suddenly out of the sky over the street outside. He hovered there for a moment, turning slowly, smiling, waving, and pointing to people he apparently saw through the surrounding windows. And when he faced the museum window, his eyes opened wide. He looked impressed with the sight of two sixth graders staring slack-jawed at him. He waved at them with both hands, pointed to Clovis and giving him a thumbs up. The boys waved back in disbelief. They were waving to the one, the only, 
Dr. Superior. Clovis looked down. He was wearing a purple Dr. Superior hoodie. He noticed my hoodie, Joseph, Clovis shouted. I'm never washing it again. Joseph kept his eyes trained on the hero hovering just outside the window. He's right there, Joseph said. I can't believe it. He waved at us and everything. Clovis, we're going to be... We're, we were being friends with Dr. Superior. Well, not friends exactly, but you know, he noticed us. Dr. Superior finished his turn and dove straight down over the smoking rooftop, sweeping up the three adults. He continued up and back into a huge loop and dropped down into the street, landing somewhere amongst the fire trucks. The boys lost sight of him. I can't wait to tell mom, Joseph said. We basically got to meet Dr. Superior right before he saved those people. Do you think he would remember us if he ever... Clovis attempted to say. Suddenly, every other kid in the room pushed both boys out of the window and off to the side. They all wanted to see what the two of them had been shouting about. Oh, smoke, said a a black-haired boy. I told you it was a fire, the red-haired boy bragged. Did someone say Dr. Superior was there, the blonde girl asked. Clovis spoke up. We just saw Dr. Superior save three people off that roof that's on fire, he said, acting out the rescue with his arms raised high. They were on the roof with all this smoke, and Superior swooped down and snatched them right off the roof, and and he took them to the fire trucks. We saw the whole thing. It was awesome, Clovis shouted. And the best part, he pointed to his chest. He liked my hoodie. His eyes closed, his head tilted back, a huge grin spread over his face. The crowd, realizing they had missed something great but not wanting to be outdone by the short kids, returned to pressing their faces to the window in an attempt to see something for themselves. But there was nothing left to see. The smoke was even fading. The students turned away one by one. You guys are liars, the black-haired boy said spitefully. Others in the crowd grumbled in agreement and shuffled back to the exhibits they had been looking at. Joseph got several dirty looks, which he hated. Rude, he said. Then he turned to Clovis. How awesome was that? Clovis was still grinning with his, he- with his head back and eyes closed. His arms were out a little bit from his sides, palms up. What are you doing? Joseph asked him. I'm thanking Jesus for the best day of my life, he said. And he returned to the window and kissed it. Joseph grabbed the back of his hoodie and pulled him. Come on, we've, we've only got like 25 minutes left to look at this place. Clovis led him to the area at the end of the room. There was a brown panel coming out from the wall layered with various photos of Captain Mighty's daring deeds. In the very center was a close-up cutout of his face and shoulders. He was looking off into the distance. His smile was large but real. Underneath the portrait was a large brass plaque in Joseph's red, the end of an era. Of all the enhanced heroes throughout the years, none will be remembered so fondly as Captain Mighty. His deeds were many, his kindness known around the world. His example, one we all strive to follow. He never said goodbye, and why should he? For his spirit will never leave us, and his legacy will never fade from our hearts. There was a simple white sign on the railing in front of the exhibit. Captain Mighty disappeared without a trace September 2003, becoming the first of the enhanced not to name a replacement. Thankfully, in November of that same year, Dr. Superior made his appearance and committed himself to carrying the captain's legacy proudly into the future. The tour guide said the same thing. That Captain Mighty disappeared, Joseph said. The movie didn't tell it that way. He just flew behind a mountain, and Dr. Superior flew out and took his place. Weird, Clovis said. Okay, so maybe starting at the end wasn't such a good idea, said Clovis. The crowd has cleared the beginning. Let's just go back and start over. 
As they walked back through the other students milling about, Joseph couldn't help but catch a glimpse here and there. Captain Mighty flies food to the villages in Uganda. Captain Mighty stops gang war, frees Tyler from well, helps with space shuttle debris recovery, rescues stranded sunken submarine. None of this had been in the movie. Based on a true story, my butt, Joseph thought. Once they were at the beginning, Clovis read aloud from another huge brown panel with gold lettering. Captain Mighty was introduced to the world by Miss Model in 1978. He is known as the people's hero, often using his enhancements to help even in small ways. Other enhanced are known for their mighty deeds. Captain Mighty is known for his many deeds. That's pretty cool, Clovis said. Not super exciting like Dr. Superior or anything, but cool. I don't think anything can compare to Dr. Superior, especially after what we just saw, Joseph replied. The boys spent the remaining time happily working their way through the room, reading, watching videos, taking pictures of capes, boots, and uniforms with Clovis's phone. The next few hours were spent going through the archways in the other room. Each hero seemed to have something special they were remembered for. Daring Dan froze the building, as the tour guide had said. Silent, Sergeant Silence served for years without a single word. Sergeant Sudden had the ability to stop disasters before they happened. Miss Model observed oversee, served overseas until the president required her to serve only in America and her, al and, and her allies during the Vietnam War. The images and facts filtered their way into Joseph's mind. It was all extremely interesting to him, and he wondered how hard it must have been for Miss Model to stop the work she was doing around the world. It must have felt like a punishment, he thought. The students all met for lunch in a cafe near the entrance at noon. They filled the hall with their exciting chattering. Have you ever wondered where they came from? Joseph asked. Yeah, I have, Clovis repeated. I wondered how they got their powers, too. Everyone assumes they're just born that way, but it could be science or aliens or something like that. I've always figured the first enhanced, Daring Dan, passed his powers down to the next and so on, Joseph said. But that doesn't explain how he got them in the first place or where they came from or where they go, Clovis asked, added. The conversation continued between bites of cheese pizza about which powers were best, which hero other than Dr. Superior was best, and what they would call themselves if they were enhanced themselves. I would go with Super Captain, Clovis said. That's cheating, Joseph said, disgusted. You just mixed Dr. Superior and Captain Mighty. Soon the microphone woman was yelling at them to clean their places and file in. It was time for the final exhibit, the hall dedicated to Dr. Superior. The entrance was yet another huge archway, which had been obscured by the main staircase before. The room was colossal. Easily half the building was dedicated to this room alone. It was circular, like the lobby, except the entire space was open and carpeted. Five statues representing each of the previous enhanced circled the room. At the front was a double-sized marble likeness of Dr. Superior. His arms spread wide as if he were holding up the ceiling. Joseph thought he looked more like he wanted to hug everyone. Please have a seat in the center of the floor, Jim the tour guide said. As soon as Joseph sat and had his legs crossed, the room went absolutely dark. The group started whooping and screaming. Joseph rolled his eyes. Joseph felt someone tapping him on his back. It had to be Clovis checking to see that Joseph was nearby. Clovis was a good friend, but he was a friend who was madly afraid of the dark. A deep voice came booming out of the darkness. The students fell silent. Welcome to the Enhanced Heroes Memorial Museum and Research Center, 
sponsored by Superior Industries Incorporated. Thank you for paying tribute to the enhanced heroes of the past. Lights came on, illuminating the five surrounding statues. We could never forget the lives they saved and the world they changed. We all owe, owe a huge gret, bleh, We all owe a huge debt to these men and women, and we repay that debt when we continue the legacy they left for us to follow. The walls around the hall were suddenly lit with purple light coming from lenses in the floor. The narrator continued, There is one man, one enhanced hero still with us today. His appearance in 2003, his amazing feats have taken the world by storms. I'm talking of none other than Dr. Superior. And with that, the ceiling above them burst into light and color as a huge Dr. Superior logo rotated overhead. It shrank down and formed an emblem on the chest of the real Dr. Superior. He stood with his hands on his hips, staring off into the distance, smiling with a look of determination on his face. The narration continued. That's right, it's Dr. Superior. In 2003, when the world was reeling from the disappearance of the much-loved Captain Mighty, Dr. Superior swept in to fill those large shoes and fill them he did. Scenes of Dr. Superior catching people jumping from burning buildings, holding up buildings weakened by earthquakes, stopping, stopping out-of-control subway trains, and many other situations started flashing on this huge screen overhead. Laser lights came from the sides of the screen and made the statues look like they were looking up and clapping their hands. He caught 11 cars falling from a bridge in Florida after a freighter collided with it in 2004. He caught the President's Air Force One when it stalled over the Atlantic Ocean in 2006. He lifted Abraham Lincoln's nose back into place when it fell from Mount Rushmore in 2007. He even made it to London to lift the Wembley Stadium's roof when the support snapped in 2010. And who can forget how he single-handedly saved the 2012 Olympics in Hong Kong when a typhoon threatened to wipe the city off the map. Lasers started tracing the huge Dr. Superior statue, outlining him in dazzling color. The outlines filled in the details and costume of his face. The face smiled, and Superior's voice rang across the room. I am Dr. Superior! And the kids went nuts, screaming and cheering. Joseph and Clovis joined right in. It was doubly exciting because he only an hour ago had been real a real life hero himself joseph noticed that the laser projections on the other hero figures were still making them appear to clap and cheer the presentation continued sharing stories of rescues dr superior had made over the years there were hundreds occasionally a close-up of his smiling face and blonde hair would flash onto the screen he was waving just as he had done just as he had done outside the window the video concluded with an invitation to visit the Superior Souvenir Shop and to have your photo taken with Dr. Superior. The lights came on. Joseph was excited. A photo with Dr. Superior? Let's go, he shouted. It's not that great, Clovis warned. Upon entering the shop, Joseph was greatly disappointed to find a huge line of students waiting for a picture with a fake wooden laminate cutout of the great hero. That's dumb, said Joseph. Told you, Clovis said. His eyes widened. Let's look around. They started picking through the various items for sale. There were racks of t-shirts with Superior's slogan on his, or, or his symbol. They were way, way more money than Joseph's mom had given him. He walked over to the keychains and started looking for one with his name. They never had it, but he always checked. They were $8 anyway, and he only had five. The microphone woman cried, called out. When you've completed your purchases, make your way outside and stand against the wall with your class like before. 
There you will receive further instructions, one of the students called out from the crowd. Joseph laughed along with the other students. She talks to us like we're kids, said Clovis. Should we hold hands with the safety buddy? He shouted out over the crowd. If you need to hold hands, Clovis, please do, the microphone woman replied in monotone. Everyone near, nearby turned and laughed at Clovis for a good bit. Other students asked what was funny, were told, and laughed too. How does she know your name, Joseph asked in disbelief. She's my Aunt Adrian. Mom has her volunteer because she's always working. My mom is convinced that one day somebody's going to try to steal me. How'd she know it was me calling out? Your Aunt Adrian must have enhanced hearing. She can hear anyone, anywhere, Joseph teased. And with the power of her incredible microphone speaker belt, she keeps watch over one of the wildest and shortest kids in the known universe, Clovis Cook. Okay, you two are done, said Aunt Adrian. Said Aunt Adrian suddenly right behind them. They both jumped. Out to the buses, Clovis. But we didn't buy anything, Clovis whined. She kissed her hand and slapped the back of his head. You can spend your money... You can spend the money you saved today on acting lessons for your friend over here, she said, nodding to Joseph. Something behind them caught her attention. She raised her microphone and squeezed past them. Young man, put down that mannequin this instant. I couldn't afford anything anyway, said Joseph. Everything seems really expensive. I've only got five bucks. You'd think they'd have something here for that. I bet they'd sell you one of Dr. Superior's toenails for five bucks, Joseph joked. Uh, Clovis joked. For you to chew on, Joseph came back. They both laughed and took turns pushing one another as they made their way through the crowd to the exit and out onto the sidewalk. They looked up and down the street, but the buses were gone. And that concludes chapter one. So there we go. I hope <laughs> to hear from you. I, I know it does. It, it, there's a lot of information in there and I probably could have told it differently, but at least now you know the world that Clovis and Joseph live in and um, the way superheroes work. And uh, obviously I'll reread that at a later date and have it properly edited so that my voice <clears throat> doesn't uh, uh, repeat itself and stuff. I actually, I feel uh, winded, not winded, but, but gravelly. Like my voice is a little gravelly. So I might have to pace myself. On these things, I, I I plan on reading several a day and then releasing them once a week, but uh, I might have to record them once a week. I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, email is james at, at nlcast.com. Uh, I'm always on Facebook as well and the Discord server. Uh, if you want to know how to get on that, go to nlcast.com, click on community, and uh, you can find all kinds of ways to contact and make uh, touch base. Um, there's also the official, uh, Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash sort of kind of superpowered. And, uh, you can also find that, um, in the NL cast network, uh, community group on Facebook. So we're all about Facebook. Um, so anyway, I thank you for listening <laughs> and, uh, it does take some of the weight off. It, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. There's definitely some areas that I would uh, improve upon and change the way it was worded. Um, so I'm going to do that. And uh, maybe maybe that's the way it'll have to be, that I, I read through it, find the problems, fix them, say it again, edit it out later, you know, that kind of thing. So there we are, GOK. 
Uh, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on episode 117. Peace.